about that warm sun and that balmy breeze. Perhaps even find it healing uh, to your body. Of course, this won't apply to those of you who prefer winter, but we're going to enjoy it uh, while it's here. This morning, we're looking at the gospel reading of Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. And you can find it in the back section of your Bible in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, and if you've forgotten where it is in the Bible, you can also go to the front. There's a table of contents, like any good book. It'll tell you where. So Luke, big number 12, little number 13. Just before we look at that, I want to ask if you ever feel hesitant when it comes to trying something that is outside your comfort level. When you're challenged by a different way of looking at life, viewing the world. I do, <laughs> quite frankly, all the time. But what do you do when you're hesitant or you're tentative to try something that unnerves you? What do you do? I pray. <laughs> Not like, help. We cry out. Even atheists have been known to do this. Help me, Lord. So this morning, I'm going to suggest that we're going to pray for help in this gospel. Because it is one that goes right to the heart. And it is the word of God. And it is Jesus speaking in the first century and to us today. So let's pray. God is here. God is amongst us. We pray that you would help us, Lord, and that you would open not only our minds, but our hearts, our ears, to what your word says to us this morning. Surprise us. We pray that your word would speak and even heal the many messages and narratives that have shaped our values and pursuits in life. Jesus, you are gentle and merciful, and holy. It's in you we find abundant life. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Luke, big number 12, and the Gospels. Jesus, picking up at 1, uh, 13, says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Like, like today, money an inheritance, an inheritance can provide a lot of tension in families. I'm sure that you may have experienced yourself. I've seen it often in families at the time of death. Someone says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance. But Jesus said to him, friend, who sent me to be the judge or the arbitrator over you? In other words, Jesus is not going to go there in that conversation. He's in fact going to address a much larger issue. Because he says to them, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Notice Jesus is not disputing, addressing the question posed to him, but he's instead addressing a deeper issue that we need to be on guard, cautious, aware of greed in our lives. To be told to guard against all kinds of greed is a warning, isn't it? I mean, that, that's how I'm hearing it. It's, it's a red flag, something so ever-present in our hearts and culture that we have to watch out, Jesus says, to the manner in which it can affect 
and impact us. So Jesus then unpacks things a little bit more. He said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he says, for, like in light of that. See, life, Jesus says, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The abundance of possessions. I came across a study this week at researchers from UCLA who visited the homes of 32 families. And they wanted to look and survey how people interacted with their environments and how they used living space. They went through each room, each closet, shelf, drawers, and they systematically documented all the stuff that people own. Gene Arnold, part of that research team, wrote, contemporary middle-class households have more possessions per household than any society in global society. Her colleague, Anthony Gresh, notes that our homes reflect this material abundance, writing, hyper-consumerism is evident in many spaces, like garages, corners of home offices, and even sometimes in the corners of living rooms and bedrooms. I know I'm in that category. Don't look in the corner of my room. And then they, they, can, they summarize things. They said, we have a lot of stuff. We have 3.1% of the world's children, but consume 40% of the world's toys. Children's toys and objects spill out of their bedrooms into living areas, kitchens and bathrooms. The push, they write, to become consumers, to value stuff, starts at an early age. Now that's an American study, though I suspect that this would be pretty close to a Canadian one, if not off by a little bit. So guard yourself, Jesus says as a warning, against greed. And then Jesus does what he often does when he's telling them something important about the kingdom of God and their life as followers of Jesus. He tells them a story. He tells them a parable to illustrate or to explain what he's saying, what he's teaching. How is it that God sees this? What is God's word? But he says it in a way that we can understand more clearly. Taking what may sound as a concept, a myth, a theological construct, nice idea, in our minds and brings it into our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's tangible, it's textured, it's multi-dimensional. And so he tells it. And that's at verse 16 if you're following along. Listen to the punctuation points which will make obvious. And the landowner thought to himself, hey self, he didn't say that, but that's what it seems like, doesn't it? What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. So friends, we see a wealthy person who owns land, had a good crop and harvest one year, and he decides to store it for the future. And saving for the future, it finds itself again and again through scripture 
within biblical uh, wisdom literature and as something that makes any, in fact, later in Timothy, we're told uh, by Paul that taking care of one's family and taking care of one's immediate and extended family is a very wise thing to do. So it makes sense. He's not, there's nothing wrong with his saving, right? But what will he do with this abundant crop? Well, Jesus then pulls the layer of the landowner's intention. He just kind of pulls it back. I don't know about you, but I hate when God does that. I mean, I trust him. I try to trust him. But when he kind of pulls back the layers and his Holy Spirit goes, that's what he's doing here. And in verse 19, the man says, and I will say to my soul, remember, this is what Jesus is telling in the story. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So his plan, and I'm going to suggest that this is a narrative we know in our, in our own lives, his plan is to save as much as he can in order to chill and to party with good food and good drink and never worry again because his treasure, his security, what he most cherishes will carry him through for many years. See, that's where his treasure is, the accumulation of wealth, his wealth for him, his wealth for him. Holy Spirit, as we continue in this passage, we pray that you would open our hearts, peel back with your comforting grace, but with your convicting towards that drives us and attracts us to you in Jesus' name. So verse 20, this is God's response to this landowner. You fool, God says. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Good question, eh? Makes us think about a retirement plan maybe a little bit different. But I find it fascinating that one of the fastest growing businesses in both Canada and the U.S. is storage containers. Storage facilitation. Places to put our extra stuff to keep for the future, to keep to give away later to family, to keep because we may have run out of space at home, or maybe to sell for a reality show like Storage Wars. An article in The Atlantic recently said that we are accumulating mountains of things. So verse 19, to rehash it, the landowner said, I will say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up. I mean, the account's doing great. The financial uh, consultant has told me things are looking very good. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's actually also... Uh, quoting from the Old Testament, except in the Old Testament version, it says, relax, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow you die. You notice he, he left that part out. But God said to him, fool, this very night, life is being demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? But friends, none of us know how long we're going to live, right? Some of us longer than others, and it's possible, just objectively saying, 
that one of us may die this afternoon or this evening. God willing, that doesn't happen today, but that, that's possible. I don't, I don't say this as a downer, but we do know that the rate of human mortality is still 100%. And for those of us who have said yes to trusting and loving Jesus, trusting in his death and resurrection, we will be joyfully welcomed when the time arrives. Jesus is simply pointing out the fact in light of everything that a landowner thinks about life and purpose. He puts self above everything, including the one who provided and entrusted him with it. But he's still going to die. He's still going to die on a day he doesn't know. And for what purpose was it? that he had all of this savings. You know, even Colonel Sanders of KFC said once that there's no reason to be the richest man in the cemetery. And I thought he's just good on chicken, but he's, he's got a few killer quotes. Of course, Mr. Sanders, we may say to ourselves, that's easy for you to say, but I don't fall into the rich bracket like rich landowner or people I know in this congregation or my family or at school or at work. But just as a reminder, <laughs> you know that if you have food in the refrigerator and clothes on your back and a roof over your head, a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. That's, no, that's, that's, I'm, I'm quoting from a study. If you have money in the bank, if you have money in your wallet, spare change in a dish somewhere, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. Now, we can unpack, um, compare Canada with global numbers. If you have a household income of, let's just be really, just moderate, $35,000 Canadian. If you have a household income of 35,000 Canadian and there's a household of two adults and two children, you're richer than 79.9% of the world. You're in the richest 20.1% of the global population. Your income is more than 3.7 times the global median. That is, if you make, <laughs> I guess this is brutal, isn't it? If you make 35 Canadian, 35,000 Canadian dollars in your household. I'm guessing most of us make that maybe a little more. But you know, here's another way of looking at it. Red Cross is good at this, Red Cross Canada. If you have a household income of 31.5 and you made 3,500 Canadian donations You could do a lot of stuff. You'd still be in the richest 22.1% of the global population. Your income would still be more than 3.3 times the global medium, and your donations each year could fund the distribution of 533 insecticide-treated bed nets to protect from malaria, 2,833 treatments for schistosomiasis, equivalent to saving around 0.8 healthy lives if you gave to charities. And we should add here 
just being the messenger, if, if we were to tithe to our local church, the church would be better equipped and more generous and be able to be released to, as the church in this city and neighborhood. And again, not as guilt, nothing like that. I'm just pointing it out and say that for many of us here, in our covenantal commitment before God and one another to become official members, this is something we've actually committed to in our covenant relationship with this church community. Just pointing out, this is one of our disciplines as following Jesus in the community. Now, I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with abundance, right? There's nothing wrong with wealth. But if it's our life's pursuit, there's real problems. Our life pursuit should be Jesus Christ, the triune God, the kingdom of God, his glory and wonder. This is our first worship. So in verse 21, Jesus takes it home. Hang in with me. So it is with those who store up treasures. Something Jesus talks about throughout the New Testament. So it is for those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. That's where the guy's treasure is, the accumulation of wealth, his wealth for him. Wait, what's your treasure? May not be money at all. Maybe nice cars, good shoes, new video games. I don't, I don't know. But we're called to look up. But how does this happen to us? How is it that we get drawn into this kind of way of thinking and living how is it that our value on accumulating stuff happens? Well, let me just give you a quick example. Let's say you purchased Apple shares about 10 years ago. Well, what happens to you? I don't mean necessarily what happens in the market value because some of those made that decision um, at the right time and, and now you have lost the share. But what happens is that you develop passionate interest in Apple. You follow financial reports and all those who write about Apple's value in the market. You keep up with its progress daily. Or perhaps you may develop interest in ministries, in Centertown ministries, for example, like our place to go on Friday evening or other ministries that we support as a parish. You watch to see what's going on in that ministry of outreach. You pray for it. You give regularly. You encourage the staff. You participate in it maybe once a month. That's how it happens, right? That's where our heart goes, where our passion is. But when we hear this parable, we may be convicted, convicted to care more about things of what kind of significance. Kingdom of God significance. Heavenly, eternal significance. Like using our wealth for the glory of God in the kingdom of Christ Jesus. So if we see ourselves where our treasure, possession, passion may lay, and we see the impact and how it can get between God and us, there are things we can do. Once again, like at the outset, when we want help, what do we do? 
pray. Holy Spirit, help me. I'm in big trouble. Gentle Jesus, just come in as I know your grace. Show me, just show me ways I can be generous. Well, one of the ways we can do it is we can move some or most of our money to things that matter to God. After all, he's the one who enabled you in his providence to have the money you have, the assets you have. Move, share, and distribute your life, your resources, to that of the kingdom of God. Those things God cares about has called us to care about. The things of Jesus' kingdom. Not unlike your passion for apple, whatever your, your passion is, your heart. In Jesus' own words, you'll follow your treasure anyway. I remember as a, as a kid who uh, grew up in Sunday school, and I have to tell you, I couldn't stand it, but now I can appreciate it, looking back a little bit. There was this song where they talk about the wise man built his house. Anybody know this? The wise man built his house upon the rock? No? Okay, I'll sing it for you after the service. But basically, at the end, it says, and of course this is from Scripture, you know, the guy who wasn't wise, or the woman, built their house on sand. Hey, you guys know this song. And when the rain came, and it rain came, and the rain came, what happened to the house built on sand? It came tumbling. Yes, Jonathan, I knew you knew this song. We'll sing it together after the service. Jesus' conclusion in verse 21 tells what the final outcome will be for those who have endless greed, whose life is focused on or worshipped the abundance, perhaps the hoarding of assets. Remember earlier in Luke, in chapter 9, he said, what does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Well, how might we do that, living rich towards God? Well, we already mentioned that he is the one we're called to worship. We'll remember, of course, um, love you, Lord, your God, with all your heart, strength, soul, mind, right? Everything we are, everything we have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Early in the same gospel, Jesus tells us what it means to be rich toward God with a few examples. In Luke, he gives us earlier examples how to love one's neighbor, particularly those in need, as the good Samaritan did. The good Samaritan. Of course, there's paradox, there's irony in this. Being rich towards God includes intentionally listening to Jesus' word as Mary did at the feet of Jesus in Luke 10. Remember that? She's working in the kitchen, chain smoking Martha. Jesus comes out and Mary sits at his knees to listen. Being rich toward God is prayerfully trusting that God will provide for the needs of life. In fact, just after this section, he tells us what? So therefore, do not worry. Do not have anxiety. In Luke 12, being rich towards God involves selling possessions and giving to the poor as a means of establishing an everlasting treasure in heaven. Scott Rideout has said, 
This is a great summary. Generosity is not an idea, hope, or desire. It's a choice. It's a direction. It's a lifestyle. Our God is a generous God. Our goal as believers is to become like Jesus. So I want to go back and just say as we close to the outset, I'm just sharing what it says in Luke chapter 12, right? I'm not looking at anybody in particular so you can get up off the floor feeling sheepish. But the goodness, the grace of God is something he wants to grow in us. His loving grace, the generosity of his own heart is something that he wants to grow in us by the Holy Spirit so that we might be generous and merciful as God is. So if we want to know how not to be a disciple or follower of Jesus, we'll follow this landowner's example. If you want to be a follower of Jesus who honors God's provision and holiness, we'll be rich toward him and using all that he's entrusted us with and love him with everything and love our neighbors as ourselves. God's really good. Abundance is found in Jesus. Let's pray, friends. Father, we do thank you that you are a good father. That you are such a good parent to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that as we say yes to Jesus, we come to see his working deeply within our lives, even at times when we're not sure he's even there. We ask that your spirit would continue to pour deep grace and palpable experience of his abundant life that we find in Jesus. We pray that your spirit would move each of us and to this parish community in particular today to be generous, to love you because you have first loved us. We bless your name. Amen.